Hi guys, welcome back to season three of Elsa and Ria's Emergency Room Podcast. This season, we're reading Complications, A Surgeon's Note on an Imperfect Science by Dr. Atua Gawande. My name is Elsa, and here's my co-host, Ria. Hi guys, welcome back. So yeah, like Elsa said, this this time we're reading this book by Atul Gawande. He's a um, pretty famous surgeon slash writer. Uh, he's written a couple of other books that have also been relatively, I don't know, famous is the right word, but pretty, pretty noteworthy. So yeah, we'll be reading Complications. And um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, a little bit about him. He's a surgeon, a writer, public health researcher. Um, and yeah, so his two passions are medicine and writing, and he combines them in these books where this one specifically, he's going to be giving us insight into, as the title says, complications uh, that occur in the medical field. Um, mainly his point is just to break down the idea that people have that medicine is this smooth running functioning machine. Um, and nothing ever goes wrong. Well, he wants to show the um, what's behind the curtains and how there's a lot of or a lot of the times there's a lot more going on that people don't think about that. Like all these complications, things going wrong, um, different variables changing that they, doctors have to doctors, nurses, other medical professionals have to adjust to on the fly. So he's going to be talking about that. So this book is divided into three parts. Uh, The first part is fallibility. Fallibility is defined as the tendency to make mistakes or be wrong. And so Dr. Gawande focuses on how medicine is a learning process and no one gets it right the first time. A lot of times it takes multiple efforts and a lot of practice to get a procedure or a technique correct. And he goes through different Uh, situations that he's been in or he's seen where he had to practice or it took him multiple attempts to get something correct. The second part is mystery, which focuses on medical mysteries, and these are related to superstitions, chronic pain, nausea, etc. And basically, um, Dr. Atua Gawande is saying how doctors immediately look for the physical, logical, or scientific explanation of a problem, but sometimes they can't find it. And he's saying maybe there's a connection between the mind-body, and um, he challenges popular medical beliefs and theories in this part of the book. Part three is titled Uncertainty, and it seems to be that this part of the book is uh, Dr. Gawande tackling the idea of autopsies. So he kind of talks about how autopsies are done in fewer than 10% of deaths. And so he kind of examines why that is, um, how it's kind of a gruesome process, so it's hard for doctors to really get the family's permission. Um, And he just kind of traces the history of it. And uh, also doctors don't like to to ask families for autopsies because they are meant to catch mistakes and doctors feel like, you know, kind of have this complex where they, they know everything, they did everything correctly, so they don't really want to go through with it. So Dr. Gawande starts off this section on fallibility with an introduction to the whole book, really. And so he talks about the story of a 20-year-old man who was shot in the buttocks. And basically, he, he's trying to work out with the other doctors, um, you know, how severe this situation is. Is it just, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can call any 
um, shot, like, minor. But, I mean, he was trying to figure out how much damage had been done. So, first, he did a rectal exam on the man, and he found blood that was coming out. So, therefore, he figured that the bullet had gone through both his rectum, and then uh, also he noted blood in the urine. Therefore, he believed that the bullet had also gone through his bladder. Therefore, he concluded that this man would need surgery. So they get him to the operating room, and they open him up. When examining the bladder and the rectum, they didn't see any bullet anywhere. In fact, they didn't see the bullet like anywhere at all inside of him. So you know, they spent about an hour trying to look for this bullet. They had an x-ray machine brought in and they got an x-ray of his, uh, you know, abdomen and pelvis and chest, but the x-ray didn't even catch a bullet anywhere. So basically they just stitched him back up and then they let him sit for a couple of days. Um, and then they eventually ordered another x-ray of the abdomen. And this one happened to find the bullet lodged in the right upper quadrant of his abdomen. So, you know, that's kind of crazy to Dr. Guande and I guess the readers, because the question is, how did the bullet travel all the way from his buttocks to his abdomen, like the right upper quadrant? So, you know, his main idea here is that medicine is very strange in that sense, where it's not textbook at all. You have a bunch of different situations that occur on the fly. Um, abnormalities that occur that you don't know how to account for. So that's kind of what he wants to highlight in this book, all these different cases, or at least this first part of fallibilities. Dr. Gwandi then talks about a young boy who was showing initially what his mother thought was symptoms of the flu, but then this progressed into what seemed like an asthma attack. And when an x-ray scan was done, there was a mass inside the middle of his chest. Um... When a CT scan was done, they saw that this mass was dense, almost the size of a football, and it was basically a tumor that was enveloping the vessels to his heart and basically pushing the heart to one side so he couldn't breathe properly and he couldn't get proper um, air to both of his lungs. Because the community hospital that the boy was sent to did not have the special equipment and the special doctors to treat him, he was sent to Dr. Gwande's hospital. When the boy arrived at the hospital, he was breathing heavily because his right lung had collapsed due to a large amount of fluid from the tumor that was occupying his chest. And he was li living entirely off of his left lung, as Dr. Gwande puts it. Right away, uh, doctors were confused as to how to approach the situation because each uh, method seemed to have a lot of consequences and they did not know if the boy would last the night to see if each of the methods would plan out accordingly. After contacting a senior surgeon, they, the doctors in the hospital decided to take a stab in the dark and they decided to insert a catheter into the boy's right chest and drain the fluid that was occupying that area. And this would cause the tumor to not have as much pressure on the left lung, helping the boy breathe better. And so once the doctor decided to go through with this and they inserted the foot and a half long rubber catheter into the boy, uh, there was quarts of blood that drained out of him. And although the doctors were initially concerned that this was a problem, uh, it turned out that both of the lungs opened up. And so the boy was able to breathe uh, easier and quieter within minutes. And so the doctors were at ease. And 
Yeah. After this procedure was done, the boy was now able to look into different methods to treat the tumor uh, through chemotherapy. And the tumor, after testing the fluid, turned out to be lymphoma, which an oncologist said uh, Lee, the, which was the boy's name, had a 70% chance of surviving. He looked up similar cases and he saw that there were actually other options that the doctors in the moment when they were performing the uh, procedure that they did, did not realize existed. And one of which was a heart-lung bypass pump, um, which was used during car- cardiac surgery. And although, the, although there were other proven methods to treat this case, uh, the doctors said they didn't regret what they did because Lee survives, and that's what mattered at the end. This is showing how medicine is often a learning process, and in the moment of treating someone, you're still learning something new. Uh, It's not always going by the book. And so Dr. Gwande says, there is science in what we do, yes, but also habit, intuition, and sometimes plain old guessing. And yeah, so basically what I wrote next to... um the end of the story was just how this book seems to be about how medicine happens on the fly more often than not and I think that's a general theme at least for this part where we're going to see a lot of cases that don't follow I keep using the word textbook but I mean that's all I can really say it doesn't follow what doctors are prepared for what the general public think doctors are going to be able to solve a lot of the time it involves problem-solving skills, um, which is what really makes a good doctor, I think. Okay, so this next chapter is titled, or actually our first chapter, because the previous was the introduction. So this one is titled Education of a Knife. And uh, the whole chapter basically revolves around Dr. Gawande's experience as a first-year, I guess, resident. He says he's in his fourth week of surgical training. And, um, you know, it's his first situation of having to um, place or do a central line on a patient. And uh, that's where the chapter starts. And by the end, we'll see how he progresses in his knowledge of doing a central line um, to being proficient at it. So it's his struggle with it and then his eventual success. So he starts off talking about how his... um, superior i don't know if it's the attending or if it's a higher resident but someone is wanting him to do a central line they believe it's time for him to practice on a patient and dr guande just talks about how he's super nervous because um although it's a pretty um a relatively simple not dangerous benign procedure there are slight risks involved. Uh, he cites them as bleeding or lung collapse. But in the experience or in experienced hands, these problems occur in fewer than one case in 100. So this is kind of the spiel he's giving to the patient. But what he doesn't tell the patient is the fact that, you know, in experienced hands, sure, this is the case. But this is his first central line. Um, so, you know, he, he starts off. So he. So he says that, and then he talks about how he goes about the process. So he swabs the man's chest, um, and also he has to mention the fact that this man is a bit obese, 
So it's going to be a little bit harder for him to find the exact area where he needs to place the central line. Um, but anyway, he swabs this man's chest with the antiseptic, injects lidocaine so that uh, the man doesn't feel much because um, it's an anesthetic. And then he goes ahead and is going to puncture the man's chest with the knife. And I guess we don't have to go into the specifics of how he goes through this procedure since we are not medical professionals yet. And so we'll probably mess something up along the way. But essentially, you know, he's going through the motions. He messes up some steps. Uh, for example, he forgets to roll a towel underneath the patient. Um, and, you know, the attending is watching. It's not like he's just doing this by himself. But he he forgets to put the towel roll under the man's um, back. Sorry, not chest. And the attending is there or whoever it, to remind him that, oh, you forgot a step. Um, uh, when he's ready to place the knife and start cutting, the attending is there to tell him, you know, where he needs to move it, an inch left, whatever. Um, and it's supposed to be right underneath the clavicle and go at an angle. And you have to be careful that you don't hit an artery because obviously then the patient will bleed out and die. Um, so he has to be really careful with this as is, you know, anytime you're cutting someone open, I would assume. So, um, point of this or the moral of this section of the story is the fact that when he's there, he's like, you know, he's cut through the patient's skin. So he's not deep enough into the patient's body where he can get the needle in the proper location. And, you know, he keeps trying to replace the needle, relocate it so that it's in the right position. And you're supposed to see blood, I think, when you, you know, so you know you're in the right location. But, you know, he keeps trying to put it in the right spot and it's just not deep enough. It's not working. Um, so eventually the attending has to take over and, you know, Dr. Gawanda is feeling pretty defeated, um, as would I would imagine like anyone when you're trying to learn a skill that means a lot to you and you just can't get it. So that's kind of the end of this section of the story. And then he the way he makes this chapter is that he breaks up the story with commentary. So then he goes into the commentary portion, kind of just talking about the the process of surgery in general, how. Some find it exhilarating. Some people want to close their eyes and look away. Um, but to him, it was exhilarating. And for him to kind of mess up in a moment like this, you start... I don't think he really started to doubt himself, but he just definitely felt a little down about it. And um, so it's kind of like a fear that crept, crept into his mind of like, am I meant for this? Um, and kind of like a... It held him back in a sense because he was more cautious and he he explains that in another story. And so talking about being more cautious, he talks about his first day as a surgical resident where he his first patient or one of his patients was a skinny, dark haired woman in her late 20s who hobbled in, as he said, because he ha- because she had uh, an, a screw in her foot because she stepped on it. He said right away the obvious thing to do is give her a tetanus shot and pull the screw out, but he was apprehensive to do that right away because uh, what if he made it worse somehow? Um, So he wanted to check with the senior surgeon on duty, which is Dr. W. He found that Dr. W was busy with a car crash victim who was a mess, and so to buy himself more time, Dr. Gawande ordered an x-ray and tried to give the patient 
an impression that he wasn't an amateur and it wasn't his first day on the job, basically. Uh, he explained what the radiologist told him was wrong with the patient to the patient. So he said there was a screw in the head of the first metatarsal. And after saying this to the patient, the patient asked what the plan was. To which Dr. Gawande ran back to Dr. W because he wanted to double check his method, which was to pull the screw out after giving the tetanus shot. When he went back to the patient and told her that he was going to pull the screw out, um, he was surprised to find that the patient completely trusted him. Because even though he felt like a first day doctor, the patient didn't know that because that wasn't the impression she was giving off. And after giving a local anesthetic, he quickly pulled the screw out. And after checking his textbooks for puncture wounds, he sent her back home and advised her of the infections that she could face. And so I think in the story, what Dr. Gawande was trying to do was show how even a simple procedure like pulling a screw out after giving a tetanus shot is something that a doctor would want to check with the higher up because they don't want to make a mistake. And when you're just put on the spot, um, you want to make sure what you're doing is correct and you're not harming anyone because that's what a doctor is ultimately meant to do. And then also I want to add that I think he, he wanted to highlight the fact that he was nervous about it just because it's the general feeling um but as he says skill and confidence are learned through experience so this was his first shot at something small um and it was still hard for him but then obviously being a full doctor now through experience he's going to get to a point where um he's going to be able to do these more complex things on his own um and he says it's it's with practice, but the only thing is, it's that it's people that they're practicing on, um, which he's going to talk about later on. But right now he cuts back into uh, the story. So uh, the story of central lines. So now he's talking about his second try at placing a central line in, and it also was not successful. Um, and basically it was the same situation of him not being able to get the needle in the right spot so uh, he actually does get the needle in the right spot because he does get a little bit of blood in the syringe indicating that he was in the vein um but when he went to pull the syringe off the syringe happened to be jammed on too tightly so when he pulled it free he also dislodged the needle from the vein um and then the patient began bleeding so he had to apply pressure to prevent you know bleeding in her chest um but unfortunately, then the patient had a hematoma, and now the resident had to take over that was supervising him. So again, he had failed, and um, what made this one a little bit worse is that the resident who took over got it on the very nice try, very very next try. So I personally put a note here saying that I would get so discouraged. Um, yeah, anytime this happens where it's like I'm learning something new, this happens all the time with my dad where I'm like trying to do something and then I let him take over and then he just does it in the very next like thing and it makes me feel stupid. So I feel for him. I can see the uh, embarrassment and shame and our shame's a little extreme, but you know that he's feeling in this moment. Now it's like you're starting from square one again and you know, you're a student again and you're making mistakes again and it must be really like dam not damaging, but you know, 
it must really hurt to get it wrong so many times but taxing taxing on your mental i guess yeah surgeons have um this sense of equality among them or egalitarianism as he calls it because surgeons know that it's practice not talent that makes a surgeon because people you know i myself thought about uh working in the surgical field but uh immediately i was turned off because i was like i have shaky hands I don't know if I can stay still for that long. I don't know if I can stay awake for that long. But he says here how none of this is what makes a surgeon. What's important is the willingness to keep at a task that you keep failing at and hope that your outcome will be different each time. You know, you will finally get it correct, which is kind of similar to the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing again and again hoping for a different result you hear it all the time the key to succeeding in anything really is just persistence resolve and tenacity or you just have to be willing to keep going keep pushing yourself don't get too discouraged and i i think it's um the harder actually i don't know how to phrase this but it's like i don't know being students being pre-medical field students right um we experience moments of doubt like all the time uh, because it's just like, you know, am I am I fit for this? Will I make it? And it's it's definitely taxing because you just don't know what the future holds. You don't know if you'll be able to do it. But I think this is at least it spoke to me. It's a good message to say that, yes, you can do it as long as you just stay in it, stay willing to keep fighting for your goal. Agreed. Yeah, Uh, definitely what I hear from a lot of people already in the position that I want to be at is that they just kept at it. They weren't necessarily the most talented or the smartest in the bunch, but definitely were the hardest working. And yeah, that kind of makes me think of the story of the turtle and the hare, where it's like you don't in this case, not really fastest, but you don't have to be the smartest. You just have to like the hair. No, no, no. Like the turtle was. <laughs> or tortoise. What was it? As a tortoise, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you just have to be willing to keep moving and don't get distracted. Don't get uh, too too confident, too cocky where you can take breaks. I mean, it's not a good direct analogy, but whatever. You get the point where you just got to keep at it. Uh, so the next thing that Dr. Gawande talks about is how back to his like um struggle with getting the central line in it's like he wasn't sure exactly what he was doing wrong how he was going to make it better but of course everyone had suggestions as he he mentions um so they all had a bunch of things he was kind of he he wanted to avoid doing it and I kind of just want to add a little story in here about personally something that I mean I don't have a good ending to this story (laughs) but um personally something I struggled with was uh the first time I did research where I was just completely not able to you know you gotta hold all the little tubes um in a certain way because it all has to be in one hand and I was just dropping things all over the place dropping the media I think I dropped like the media with the cells in it so it's like you have to start all over again so I was just completely down on myself. I kept apologizing to the professor I do research under. And I was just like, I'm so sorry I messed this up. And we're going to have to start all over again. And luckily, he was pretty reassuring that, um, you know, it's a learning process. And eventually, I 
went home and I practiced holding as stupid as it seems to have to practice holding some an item but I practiced on how to screw the thing with one hand um and I eventually got it to the point where I was able to do research and not mess up so I think that's really similar to how Dr. Gawande talks about the resident doing work under the attending because often um or not often all the time I think the resident gains experience through working under the attending and working on actual humans actual persons and because it's their first time doing a lot of procedures they are bound to mess up and make mistakes and they have to push through these and the attending often has to assist them and reassure them and tell them that you know they'll eventually get the hang of it and so yeah eventually dr gawande it came time again for him to have to put in another central line on a patient and this time um i think he he was struggling in the beginning again yeah it says he couldn't find the clavicle with his fingertips because i believe this patient was also obese pretty obese to the point where he could not lay down for too long because it felt like the weight of him was crushing his lungs so he yeah they kind of had to work together or maybe i'll call it that but basically they had to find that sweet spot where um dr gawande would get everything ready that he needed and in the last moment possible the patient would lay down and then dr gawande would get to it so um a little more pressure than usual i would say he couldn't find the clavicle at first and then he says he made a rough guess as to where the right spot was numbed it with lidocaine and then pushed the big needle in and you know he he wasn't sure that the needle was going to be long enough to reach um but then all of a sudden he felt something different he felt the tip slip underneath the clavicle in the right spot pushed a little deeper drew back the syringe and unbelievably is his quote it filled with blood he was in so that was his kind of his success story of how he eventually got it and he goes on to talk about how you know he to this day still has no idea what he did differently that day um compared to the first few times that he tried doing the central line so he says quote practice is funny in that way and i completely agree because it seems like um a lot of the times when you're practicing something you don't know what you're doing differently but it's just the fact that you keep at it that eventually you're going to do something right and then it becomes um like secondhand nature or secondhand or yeah right secondhand nature uh where you can just do it correctly every single time from then on yeah, um, he says conscious learning becomes unconscious knowledge because so it becomes muscle memory and you just you just do it without even thinking. But uh, the only problem with this is the fact that a lot of, well, you know, in other fields, when you're practicing, you're practicing on something inanimate, right? Like you're a violinist, you're practicing on an instrument, Um you're a chef trying to make food you're practicing on food anyway but the case with medicine is the fact that you're practicing on someone living someone with families someone with a life so it's like um you really don't have the room to make that much error you have to be on top of your game all the time and so then this next portion dr guande switches into is just talking about how how practicing is kind of is is very difficult in medicine because of this extra pressure 
Some statistics I found interesting was the fact that teaching hospitals seem to have better results than non-teaching hospitals. Dr. Gawande thinks this is because, uh, and I completely agree because I notice in my own like tutoring, when I am reinforcing an idea through tutoring, it's like helping me build that knowledge back up or helping it stay in my mind. So it's kind of the same thing when these uh, attendings who are teaching are teaching, it's reinforcing the uh, practices in their mind so that they are more efficient doctors. And so that's why these teaching hospitals seem to have better results. But he, Dr. Gwande also says that no matter how many protections we put in place, and this is a quote, no matter how many protections we put in place, on average, these cases go less well with the novice than with someone experienced and obviously that makes sense you know um, someone who's been at this for 50 years is definitely more likely to know what they're doing than a newbie but there's also no choice like someone's got to train these residents um, and the only way to get better I know they say the only way to get better is by making mistakes and it sounds horrible to say because you know a mistake here is life-changing Right, and so that brings up, like, the ethics of um, having these residents perform surgeries because often, uh, Dr. Gwandi says, it's the humblest of patients, so the ones that don't really know as much about what's going on that uh, end up being the patients that get operated on by the residents. Because if... uh, doctor were to bring in his or her son or daughter or no his child to the hospital to get surgery they wouldn't want a resident to work on their child because they know that they want the most care and the most skilled person to perform whatever procedure it is regardless of how simple the procedure might be because you want the best possible result if every person were like this, then the residents wouldn't have a chance to learn because no one wants an inexperienced doctor working on you. Um, and so, yeah, Dr. Gwandi says that's the uncomfortable truth about teaching. A patient's right to the best care possible must trump the objective of tra- training novices. We want perfection without practice. Yeah, we want perfection without practice. So we want the best doctor to perform the surgery but we don't want the possibility of a resident making a mistake even though that practice could make them in the future be the best doctor to treat the patient so i think it kind of takes on utilitarian ethics which i think i mentioned in last season but basically it's like someone's got to train these residents so that they are they become the um, next generation's caretakers and so yeah, so maybe there are a few casualties that are that occur in the beginning as the resident is learning, which is obviously unfortunate and should be should not be downplayed. But it's like um, the definition of utilitarianism is like it's like the greatest happiness for the greatest number of people. So if more people benefit in the end, um, it's all about the ends over the means. Which you know, a lot of times people have uh, a lot of critiques about utilitarianism and it's pretty outdated today but I guess with medicine it's kind of like you just don't have a choice because otherwise you're not going to have this next generation of caretakers right and uh, I think that's like very interesting that medicine is one of the only things that like you need to practice on 
people in order to get better. It's not like we can just practice on a dummy and have the same experience or do a bajillion dry runs and, you know, have the same experience. Even though we can perfect a lot of skills, there's so much that can go wrong in medicine. And so so it's definitely necessary to uh, take that risk. Yeah, I would agree, too. I, I just think there's no other way. If there was, obviously, it would be great to not have to risk some patients' lives. But unfortunately, there is no way. Um, and that's why it kind of goes back to what you were talking about a little bit, how the doctor is knowing of this process and how um, sometimes you're going to get a resident who who's going to want who's going to want to operate on you or your loved one and because you're a doctor and you're an insider you're going to be able to um, make note of this and avoid a resident but then uh, operating on you but then a truck driver is the example that Dr. Gwande gives well this truck driver isn't going to really know this Um, they might might not pay attention to what a resident is they might not know that this is kind of a novice relatively Um, and so they're going to let their a loved one or themselves be in the hands of someone less experienced just because they don't know. There has been a proposition saying that all patients should be informed um, and, and have the choice because they're all informed, I guess, right? When you're introduced to the doctors, but uh, they, sh- they should have the choice to be able to say, no, I would not like this resident to operate on me. Right. So if we were to do that though, um, Dr. Gwande talks about how there's no way that residents would get any sort of training because no one is going to knowingly consent to lesser, less greater of care, if that makes sense, right? So that's why Dr. Gwande says that we cannot just give patients the option because then no one's going to get trained. You're not going to have a future generation of doctors. Right. And you mentioned how uh, the patients are informed about who's going to perform the surgery. But what Dr. Gwande says later in the chapter is how the way they phrase it might not necessarily give the correct implications or, you know, might not necessarily give the correct uh, uh, idea to the patient because they say things like, I just assist or we have a new procedure for this that you're perfect for. Things along that line, which give the patient the impression that Nothing's a big deal. The doctor and the attending or the surgical uh, superior would be performing the surgery. But in actuality, the resident would be doing a lot of the procedures, which the patient might not be comfortable with knowing. And so in this case, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, and it sucks because it's like, obviously, given the choice, it's like you would never want that for yourselves. And, you know, granted, there are attendings watching you nothing's really going to go wrong uh but things do go wrong compared to if someone more experienced was handling the situation so that kind of brings me to a question that i wanted to ask you so i think we're both pretty much on the same page where we agree that it's kind of a necessary thing for uh, residents to have to practice on patients without them knowing um but you mentioned how the lingo that they use is uh deceiving in a sense because they're saying things like um 
you know, I don't really do much. I'm just here to assist. But in actuality, they might be doing a little, a lot more than just assisting, right? They might actually be getting their hands dirty. So do you think it's fair for them to downplay their role in the matter? Or do you think they should not not do that so much, but also not be so upfront? Maybe say that, you know, I'm, I'm here to, I'm a resident, I will be the right hand man, uh, or not even maybe that, but just like, I'll definitely have a role in your surgery, you know, like, do you think saying something like that? So you're not exactly giving the patient a choice, but you're also not um, deceiving them. I think giving the patient the entire information might not always be the best case scenario because a lot of them would refuse. Maybe a lot more of the complex cases they would refuse because they want just the attending uh, doing or performing the surgery. Um, but it's through the, all those weird cases that the resident learns because, you know, no two cases are exactly identical. So I think uh, having full knowledge of what's going on might not be beneficial for the future of medicine as well as the patient because, you know, when you know everything, you're going to be more anxious and maybe the recovery won't be as, as good. So that's my opinion. What about you? Yeah, that's a good point, actually, just like, maybe it's just best if they 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 don't think about it so that they're not stressed over it. Because uh, you're already stressed enough having a surgery that you don't need to be worried about whether someone's going to make a mistake on you because they're not experienced. Um, but yeah, I feel like maybe they shouldn't try to be so deceiving where they make it sound like just casual, like, yeah, I'll just be in the room. Um, but just I mean, I'm sure it's they, they do have serious tones when they're explaining uh, their roles in the procedure. But I just think the way Dr. Gwanda at least made it seem was that it's it's quite deceiving. Um, so if they could find a way to balance that with also still getting practice, but also not exactly deceiving the patient, I think that would be best. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And hopefully in the future, you know, there's a way to do that without putting um, patients' lives at risk. Yeah, exactly. Personally, I can kind of relate to this where I was, because I'll say my story now, um, where I was doing, getting some treatment done and uh, it required my plasma, like my blood plasma to kind of be sprayed on my face or, you know, with the syringe, just um, kind of uh, rub it along the outside of my face, right? The the person who was in charge of this holding the syringe, she happened to be new because, you know, I can tell they were explaining certain things to her, how to uh, exactly hold the syringe. She was talking about how it was a little tough, which I'm assuming is not something someone experienced, experiences because they're used to how tough or how hard they have to press the syringe. But anyway, I could tell she was new and it wasn't really a big deal, but, um, you know, she happened to get the plasma in my eye rather than the cheek where it was supposed to go. So the doctor and the other assistant there uh, treated it as something pretty serious when it happened, even though, I'm, I mean, it wasn't a big deal, right? Like they could just wipe it off. I'm assuming it's not a big deal. But um, I, I still thought it was interesting how they still took it seriously that she had done that, even though it wasn't a big deal. But anyway, my point is just to say how I, when she made that mistake, she apologized to me. But I... I said, you know, don't worry about it. I actually said I'm pre-med and that I totally understand the process of learning. So don't worry about it. So, I mean, maybe there are some people out there who wouldn't mind um, if someone were to say, hey, I'm new, I'll be operating on you. (laughs) Not exactly like that, but maybe they'll be okay with it. 
at least if it was minor, right? Like uh, something like that. If they said, hey, I'm new. I'm going to be doing this to you today. I'd be like, okay, no problem. Because I know there's no chance of me really dying. I mean, right? So. Right. Yeah, I think for yourself, maybe you can say that. But do you think you'd feel the same way about a child or like a a mother or father? Like your mother or father? Um, But it's not like it was anything where they had to, you know, cut me open and do something with high risk, like, uh, fatality right like i had a high chance of dying or something like that right so if it if it was a procedure like that relatively safe i don't think i would mind one of my family members or loved ones undergoing um you know a procedure like that based on someone who is a resident but if there was some sort of risk involved then definitely like you know let's say it's a heart valve replacement there's no way i would let myself nor someone else who i love undergo that procedure and have it be done by a resident Uh, you want the best of the best because you want the best outcome for yourself and your family um what do you think i think i agree with you i think if it's a minor procedure then i don't see the harm in a resident doing the job Uh, but if it was something major or something that you know could get complicated i definitely want whoever was most trained and most knowledgeable to perform the surgery. And so Dr. Guandia was actually put in a similar situation when his newborn at 11 days old was suddenly showing congestive heart failure. And uh, this was a severe cardiac defect. And so Dr. Guandia and his wife were getting really scared because his other organs such as his kidney and liver were starting to fail too. Um, and he needed immediate surgery. And so following the surgery, um, he recovered, um, but he wasn't, uh, the baby named Walker wasn't able to go home. And the doctor said that the repair would not be adequate because there need to be more procedures done along the years to um, help the baby live a proper life and so um when it was around the time that walker the baby had to be discharged um so another uh cardiologist needed to be chosen to take care of uh walker and ensure that he was growing properly and there were no uh other problems and so when dr gawande was faced with this um uh resident who had been taking care of walker throughout the surgery and afterward approached him and offered to be that um, cardiologist or to be that uh, resident to take care of the child. But Dr. Wande refused or, you know, politely turned it down because he was like, I'd rather have, um, I'd rather have not uh, another doctor who was the cardiologist in chief um and who had more experience and all that and so dr guande says he knew this wasn't fair that his son had an unusual problem and that the fellow resident you know needed the experience from his son but also he said this was my child and so given the choice what parent wouldn't want to give his child the best possible care and that relates perfectly back to what we were talking about you know he he agrees with us in the sense that 
he himself and probably no one would want their loved ones or themselves to undergo a dangerous, uh, risky procedure with a resident in charge. And it's not to say that we don't want medicine to succeed. It's just to say that we understand the risks and uh, in a selfish manner, we just don't want those risks for ourselves. So I think that's why, you know, it definitely has to be randomized. Uh, And this is kind of the last point Dr. Gwande makes about this, how it has to be randomized where no one is given the ability to choose um, because, you know, when given that choice, no one's going to say yes. So it has to be that no one knows about anything. Um, if you get a resident, you get a resident. That's just how it is. Unfortunately, you do have those insiders that we talked about a little before. Um, but if there was a way to reduce these insiders, that'd be best uh, and really not give anyone the choice. So Dr. Gwande ends this chapter with a story about the central line where he was the experienced uh, surgeon or you know surgical resident on the job and he was directing a junior resident on how to put a central line and he noticed the similarities between him and this resident at least from when he started. Uh, she forgot the towel just like he had forgotten. Uh, she had forgotten to check the patient's history to see if uh, the patient was able to was it receive medication without having aller- without having any reaction. It's like he was allergic to heparin, which is in the flush for the line. So Dr. Wandu was seeing similarities where he messed up and where he thought he was inadequate when he started out as a first year resident and this new junior resident that he was helping with the central line and she kept uh messing up the central line she kept angling it wrong or um pushing it in too deep or not deep enough and during this entire thing dr wande is saying that she was gonna let uh her do it one more time because she can't learn without doing and that's the same scenario that he was in when he first started as a resident so it's a whole full circle thing like he initially felt like he couldn't do it and now he was the one in charge of teaching someone and making sure they learned it correctly while not losing hope or you know not being down on themselves for not getting it right the first time yeah so it's a little nice cute ending um to show how this is just the way doctors get better the way they practice and how uh you create the new generation of doctors yeah, so that's basically it for this intro and first chapter of Dr. Gawande's book. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy the fact that we're taking a little break from, um, I guess, public health matters. I guess it kind of is considered public health. But, you know, viruses and uh, evolution, more of the biology topics. And now we're talking a little bit more about medicine. So we hope you guys will enjoy this season as it's a little bit uh, different and unique in that regard. And yeah, see you guys next week. Bye.